You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of the Fifth Gospel from the Akashic Record, a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner. This is Lecture 12, given in Cologne on the 17th of December, 1913. Tonight and tomorrow night, I need to speak in a rather different way about the event we are accustomed to call the Mystery of Golgotha. Former statements on the subject have, it is true, been of an occult character, but they were more theoretical by nature. We have spoken of the nature of the mystery of Golgotha and its significance as the central event, as it were, in the whole of human evolution on earth. The thoughts which have been communicated have certainly been the result of occult investigation. We tapped the source springs that stream out from the mystery of Golgotha and are alive in human evolution. The significance and meaning of the mystery can be found when the seer's eye, E-Y-E, is directed to everything that lives in human evolution on earth. Now, however, it will be necessary to go into the actual detail of the events which took place at the beginning of our era. I shall speak of events which created powers that have shone out, as it were, and lived on in the earth's aura, where they can be observed on occult investigation. Tomorrow I shall give some of the reasons why these things need to be discussed in anthroposophical circles at this particular time. Today I shall attempt to give some indications of what happened in Palestine at the beginning of our era. I hope that the mystery of Golgotha, so far presented more in the form of ideas, will not lose significance in your hearts and minds if we now consider what happened at the time in very real terms. In my lectures on the Gospel of Luke and the so-called Gospel of Matthew, I referred to some essential aspects to be considered in this field, that is, the fact that two Jesus children were born at about the same time at the beginning of our era. I spoke of the different characters and abilities of the two boys. One, and the description of him, shines out from the so-called Gospel of Matthew, came from the Solomon line of the house of David. In him lived the soul, or capital I, of the individual known to us as Zarathustra. With an incarnation such as this, one thing in particular must be clearly understood. When an individual who had previously reached the heights attained by Zarathustra reincarnates, in this case at the time when he was born in Jesus, it by no means follows that he will know himself to be that individual as a child or young person. There is no awareness that would make him say, quote, I am so-and-so, close quote. On the other hand, the advanced faculties 
gained in such a previous incarnation will show early and determine the whole basic structure of the child's character. The Solomon Jesus child, as I shall call him, was thus endowed with great gifts which, characteristically, enabled him to enter into the achievements of human civilization that were alive in his surroundings. The whole of human civilization was alive in the world around the child. This is especially true of that particular time, in words, gestures, actions, in short, in everything he was able to see and hear around him. Children usually take in little of what they see and hear. This boy, however, had a great inner genius which enabled him to perceive from the sparsest indications what humanity had achieved. In short, he had a supreme gift for everything human civilization had produced by way of scholarship and learning. We would call such a child highly gifted today. Up to his twelfth year, the Solomon Jesus child learned quickly, taking in everything his environment was able to offer. The other Jesus child, who came from the Nathan line of the house of David, was very different. His character shines out from the Gospel of Luke. He had no gift of scholarship at all. Up to his twelfth year he showed no interest in anything to be gained from human civilization by way of scholarship. On the other hand, he showed the highest degree of what we may call gifts of the heart, sharing in all the joys and sufferings of others. His genius lay in being less concentrated on himself, less able to acquire the skills and knowledge to be gained on earth. But in that, from his earliest childhood, he felt the pain and pleasures of others to be his own, being able to enter into their inner feelings. He had this ability to the highest degree. The difference between the two Jesus boys, as it is presented in the Akashic record, could not be greater, therefore. In their twelfth year, an event happened which I have spoken of many times. On the journey to Jerusalem, on which the Nathan child was taken by his parents, the Zarathustra eye, which until then had been in the Solomon Jesus boy, left that body and took possession of the physical, ether, and astral bodies of the Nathan Jesus. Everything this kingly eye had been able to gain was then active in the soul of the Nathan Jesus. That boy gained all the power of Zarathustra without knowing it, and was able to cause amazement when he appeared as a teacher among the scholars. I also mentioned that the other Jesus boy, the Solomon child, from whom the Zarathustra I had departed, went into a rapid decline and died relatively soon after. It is important to realize that when someone gives up the I, as in the case of the Solomon Jesus boy, this does not mean that life is no longer possible. Just as a ball will continue to roll for a time under its own momentum, such a life continues for a while through the powers inherent in it. Unless one is able to perceive the subtle aspects of human souls, the difference between a soul that still has its eye and one that has lost it is not very great. The eye does not have much of a direct influence when we meet a soul in ordinary life, 
direct revelation of the eye is the least thing we perceive in a person, for the eye is revealed through the astral body. The other Jesus boy retained his astral body, however. It needs great powers of discernment. This is far from easy. To establish if old habits, old thoughts continue to influence a soul, or if something new is taken up. This alone will show if the eye is still there or not. But the individual begins to go into a decline, withering away, as it were, and that was the case with the Solomon Jesus child. As karma would have it, the natural mother of the Nathan Jesus child died soon after the time when the Zarathustra eye had entered into the Nathan child and so did the father of the Solomon child. The father of the Nathan child and the mother of the Solomon child then married. The Nathan child had no brothers or sisters. His new brothers and sisters came from the family of the Solomon child. The two families became one and lived in the small town later called Nazareth. We shall therefore use the term Jesus of Nazareth when speaking of the Nathan, Jesus child, in whom the Zarathustra I lived from then on. Today I also want to tell you something of the younger years of Jesus of Nazareth, as revealed in the Akashic Record. I want to present this in a way that will help us to understand a significant moment in earth evolution, which helped to prepare the way for the mystery of Golgotha, of which we shall speak tomorrow. Three distinct phases in the life of Jesus of Nazareth are clearly perceptible to the seer. His dialogues with the scholars had shown that once the Zarathustra I had entered into him in his twelfth year, he had the inner power to receive enlightenment and connect this with the abilities belonging to the Zarathustra soul. This soul, therefore, had a tremendous capacity for inner experience. As Jesus progressed from his twelfth to seventeenth or eighteenth year, it is possible to see the inner enlightenment emerge more and more. At the time this was connected with the whole evolution of the ancient Hebrews and of the Hebrew nation altogether. At the time when Jesus of Nazareth was part of the Hebrew nation, no trace remained of the great revelations the prophets had once given to the Hebrews secrets coming directly from the cosmos. Much had been passed on by tradition, but the original faculties for obtaining those secrets directly from the worlds of spirit had long since faded. The secrets could now only be found in the old established literature. A few, like the famous Hillel, had gone through individual development that enabled them to perceive something of what the prophets of old had proclaimed but those few no longer had the power that had existed in the days of original revelations given to the Hebrews. A definite decline could be seen in the spiritual development of the Hebrew people. Yet the revelations made by the prophets of old now arose as inner enlightenment, as though arising from the depths in Jesus of Nazareth's soul. I do not so much want to draw your attention to the historical fact that inner enlightenment brought the revelations of the prophets alive in an individual human being. Instead, 
I would ask you to feel the isolation experienced by a relatively young Jesus of Nazareth, when at the age of thirteen or fourteen he felt a revelation arise in him, which no one else around him was able to experience, for even the best of them had only a faint glimmer of this. Enter into the life of such an individual who finds himself all alone with one of the greatest human treasures of knowledge. It is important to realize that the mystery of Golgotha had to be prepared in this way, with feelings of loneliness and isolation arising in the soul of Jesus of Nazareth. If you are on an inner island, as it were, feeling as he did when he had shared so much in the feelings of others from childhood and now wanted to share with them, but could not, because their souls had descended to a level where they could no longer take it in. If you feel the pain of knowing something others are unable to take in, though you would wish that it might also live in their hearts, then you are preparing for a mission. Jesus of Nazareth was preparing for a mission. This gave his inner life its basic note. For again and again he had to say to himself, A voice comes to me from the world of the Spirit. If humanity could hear this, it would bring infinite blessing. In older times people could hear it, but now the ears no longer exist to hear it. This pain of being all alone entered more and more deeply into his soul. Such was the inner life of Jesus of Nazareth from about his twelfth to his eighteenth year. His natural father and his stepmother did not understand him, and his brothers and sisters not only failed to understand but tended to mock him, considering him half mad. He worked hard in his father's carpentry trade, but as he worked, the feelings I have spoken of were alive in his heart and mind. When he was more or less in his eighteenth year, He began to journey, working with different families, different craftsmen, in Palestine and adjacent pagan lands. He was guided by his karma. The unusual nature of this man became apparent to everyone with whom he came in contact. He would work all day and in the evenings sit with the people. And the people with whom he was thus together, from his nineteenth to his twenty-second year, always had a feeling, though they would not always be clearly conscious of this, that he was a very special human being, someone of a kind they had never seen before, and indeed whom they could not have imagined ever to exist. They did not know what to make of him. To understand this we have to bear in mind what must always be borne in mind if we want to enter into secrets of human evolution. Experiences like those that had come to the young Jesus of Nazareth cause deep inner suffering, but the pain is transmuted into love. Profound pain has the power to change into love, a love greater than the ordinary kind of love where you merely have to be there with your love. This love streamed out like the far-reaching rays of an aura, and the people who had him among them in those days felt there was much more among them than just a human being. Even when he had left the place, the effect continued, and they really felt him to be present when they sat together in the evenings. And this would happen over and over again when he had left the place, 
sitting around the table in the evenings, people would have common visions. They would see him enter as a spiritual figure. They all had the vision simultaneously, feeling that Jesus had come again, was talking to them and telling them things, just as he had done when he was physically present among them. He lived visibly among people long after he had left. Pain transmuted into love made him have such a powerful effect. The people with whom he had been felt especially connected with him. They never really felt that he had left them, but that he remained with them and returned many times. He not only traveled through Palestine, but his karma also took him to pagan places. It would go too far to go into detail today. Having first experienced the decline in Judaism, he now found that pagan rites too no longer held the old original revelation. This was the second phase in which he experienced the descent of humanity from what had once been spiritual heights. He was to experience this in a different way, however. Knowledge of the decline in Judaism had come more from within through inner enlightenment. He saw that the revelations from the world of the Spirit, once proclaimed by the prophets, had ceased, for there were no ears any longer to hear them. Realization of the decline in paganism came when he visited a place where the old pagan rites had deteriorated to a particular degree, and there were also external signs of decline. The people in the place suffered from leprosy and other ugly diseases. Some had become vicious, others feeble and lame. The priests who had fled from those places of worship avoided these people. When Jesus was seen approaching, the news spread like wildfire that someone very unique had come, for even his outer bearing showed something of the pain transformed into love. They saw someone approaching who was unlike anyone who had ever walked on earth. The news soon spread and many came running, believing that a priest had been sent to them who would once again perform the offering service. Their priests had abandoned them, and now they came running. This is evident from the Akashic record. He did not intend to perform the pagan offering service, but there appeared to him as though in vivid imaginations the whole riddle of the decline that had occurred also in pagan development. Good spirits no longer streamed down to the pagan altars, but all kinds of demons, emissaries of Lucifer and Armand. Jesus of Nazareth perceived this as if in visions coming from outside rather than the inner enlightenment he had received concerning the situation in Judaism. Learning something in a theoretical way is very different from being able to see directly how demons descended onto an offering altar where divine powers of spirit had come down in the past and how those demons caused abnormal states of soul, diseases, and so on. Jesus of Nazareth was to perceive this through direct vision in the Spirit. He was able to see the influence the emissaries of Lucifer and Araman had on people, causing terrible things to happen to them. He suddenly fell down as if dead. The people took fright and ran away. But when he lay there as if out of his mind, as if transported into another world, 
he gained an impression of everything those old original revelations to the pagans had been. Before, he had heard secrets that had been made known to the prophets of old, but now no longer had even a shadow existence among the Jews. Now he heard through spiritual inspiration how those secrets had been made known to the pagan peoples. The deepest impression he gained is something I have attempted to investigate. I spoke of it for the first time when we laid the foundation stone for our building in Dornach. It might be called a reverse our father, for it was like the essential content given in reverse of the prayer the disciples were later to say they were given by Christ Jesus. As he perceived this, Jesus of Nazareth felt it contained in highly concentrated form the secret of human evolution and embodiment in earthly incarnations. Quote, Amen. The evils hold sway, witness of egoity releasing itself. Selfhood guilt through others incurred, experienced in the daily bread, wherein the will of the heavens does not rule, because man separated himself from your realm and forgot your names, you fathers in the heavens. This, rendered in halting words, reveals the laws according to which the human being incarnated from the macrocosm into a microcosm. Since these words have become known to me, I have found them extraordinarily significant for meditation. Their power over the soul is quite extraordinary. And you perceive this power all the more the longer you contemplate these words. If you then try to look at them in detail and understand them, you find that they do indeed hold the secret of man and the destiny of humanity in a nutshell, and how their reversal gave rise to the microcosmic Our Father, which the Christ gave to his disciples. This was not the only secret of original pagan revelation perceived by Jesus. When he came out of his visionary state and saw the fleeing people and demons, he knew the whole secret of paganism. For the second time immeasurable pain entered his soul. The decline of Judaism had become so real to him because he actually received the revelation which had been given to it before decay set in. Now he perceived that much the same had happened with the pagan people. He became fully aware that all around him people had to live out the words, quote, They have ears, but they do not hear the secrets of the cosmos. Close quote. He had to go through this in order to gain the limitless compassion he always felt for people. We may put it as follows. He now had the power of vision, and humanity should be given what those visions contained. But where were those who could communicate it? Those were his experiences until about his twenty-fourth year. Then his karma took him home, at the time when his father died. He then lived with his stepbrothers and stepsisters, and his step or foster mother, She, too, had not understood him very well in the past, but now she gradually showed increasing understanding for the great pain he bore in his heart. He had further experiences from his twenty-fourth to his twenty-eighth year, twenty-ninth and thirtieth year, 
and this met with growing understanding from his stepmother, though even now it was not easy. Those were also the years when he became more closely acquainted with the Essene order. Today I will only touch on the main aspects of this. The people in this order set themselves apart from the rest of humanity and developed a specific style of life in body and soul, which was designed to help them find their way back to the original revelation of the Spirit, which had been lost to humanity. Strict exercises and a rigid rule were to help them reach a level where they could once more be united with the spiritual regions from where the original revelations had come in the past. Jesus of Nazareth also met John the Baptist among these people, but neither of them became an Essene in the true sense. The Akashic record shows this quite clearly. It emerges from everything I have said that a human individual of a very special kind had quite an extraordinary effect on everyone he met. This had been extraordinary among the pagans. And now the Essenes too, people who normally kept everything their souls had gained a close secret, not telling outsiders anything, would speak openly about important secrets held by the order to Jesus, telling him of the most important things they had gained in their inner endeavor. Jesus came to realize that a path still existed for human souls to ascend to the heights where the original human souls had once dwelt and from which they had descended. But he felt it deeply and it made him feel uncomfortable, if I may use such a common term, that in order to ascend to the heights, an Essene had to isolate himself from the rest of humanity and live apart. This was not at all in accord with the universal love of humanity felt by Jesus of Nazareth. It was unbearable to him that spiritual treasure should not be available to the whole of humanity, but could only be gained by some at the cost of humanity as a whole. He would often leave the Essene places in great pain. His feelings may be expressed in the following words. Again, it is only some, and there can only be a few of them, who find their way back to the original revelation. Yet because they segregate themselves, the rest must fall into decay all the more. They cannot reach those heights, for they have to do the rough material work for those who set themselves apart. On one occasion, as he was leaving the Essene settlement by one of its gates, he saw two figures in his mind's eye, E-Y-E, that fled from the gate. These were the figures we call Lucifer and Aramon today. He had the impression that the Essenes were protecting themselves from them, driving them away by their exercises, their ascetic lifestyle and the strict rule. Nothing connected with Lucifer and Aramon was allowed to touch them. This is why Jesus saw Aramon and Lucifer fleeing from the gate. And he also knew that it was exactly because a place had been created from which they were excluded, where people did not want to know them, that Aramon and Lucifer turned all the more to the rest of humanity. It is a big difference if one knows in theory or if one actually sees what individual souls do to advance themselves and how this sends Lucifer and Aramon to others, having been rejected by individuals bent on their own advancement. 
He knew now that this was not the path of true salvation and that the Essenes were looking for their own advancement at the cost of the rest of humanity. His heart was filled with infinite compassion. He could not take pleasure in the advancement of the Essenes, knowing that others had to sink all the lower because they were advancing as individuals. He felt this more and more because he also saw the image of Lucifer and Araman fleeing at other Essene gates. There were several of these. For these spirits would stand at the gates but be unable to enter the Essene settlements. He knew then that the customs and rules of an order, like those of the Essene order, drive Lucifer and Araman to other people. This was the third great unending pain he experienced in connection with the descent of humanity. It entered deeply into his soul. I said that his stepmother gained increasing understanding for what lived in him. Something now took place that was to be a significant step in preparation for the mystery of Golgotha, a talk between Jesus of Nazareth and his stepmother. The Akashic record shows this. Her understanding had grown to a point where he could speak to her of the threefold pain he had experienced at the decline of humanity as he had seen it in Judaism, paganism, and in connection with the Essenes. And as he spoke to her of all the pain he had suffered in loneliness, he could see that this moved her. One of the most magnificent impressions to be gained in the occult field is to perceive the nature of this talk. Nothing like this is to be found in the whole of earth evolution. I am not saying nothing greater, for the mystery of Golgotha was, of course, greater, but nothing like it. He was not saying mere words as he spoke to his mother. His words were like living entities that passed from him to his stepmother, and his soul lent them wings, endowing them with special powers. All the tremendous suffering he had gone through passed into his stepmother's soul on the wings of his words. His own I, capital, went with every word. And this was no mere sharing of words or thoughts. It was a living soul moving from him to his stepmother's soul in the words of his infinite love and infinite pain. And he was able to present the three experiences he had known as a great panorama. The whole process was further enhanced because Jesus of Nazareth gradually let the conversation turn into something that had come to him out of the threefold pain he had experienced over the decline of man. It is truly difficult to put into words what he said to his stepmother, summing up his experiences, as it were. We are prepared through the science of the Spirit, however, and so an attempt may be made to convey the meaning of the final part of this talk, using formulations and expressions from that science to help us. What I am going to say now is not said exactly like this, of course, but you can get an approximate idea of what Jesus intended to evoke in his stepmother's heart. Looking back, the whole evolution and life of humanity on earth can be seen to be like an individual human life, though it would change in later generations, even if people were not conscious of this. We might say that post-Atlantean life presented itself to his mind's eye. First, after the great natural event, 
an ancient Indian civilization evolved, with the holy rishis presenting their tremendous wisdom to humanity. In other words, this was a highly spiritual civilization. Jesus of Nazareth went on to say that the spiritual forces which were active in that ancient Indian period were very different from those in later times, just as in an individual life the forces active in childhood between birth and the seventh year are different from those in later life. In those days these forces extended over the whole of life, not only up to the seventh year, and human evolution was therefore different from what it became later. People would know all their lives what today's children know and experience up to their seventh year. Today we think the way we do between our seventh and fourteenth and our fourteenth and twenty-first year because we have lost the powers we had in childhood, powers that are turned off in the seventh year. In the first post-Atlantean age, these powers poured out over the whole of a human life, and people were therefore clairvoyant. They were able to rise to greater heights with those powers. That was the golden age in human evolution. There followed an age when the powers that are otherwise only active between the seventh and fourteenth year extended to the whole of life. In the third era, the powers which today are active between the fourteenth and twenty-first year were active. And after this, humanity lived in an age when the powers that are otherwise active between the twenty-first and twenty-eighth year were poured out over the whole of human life. With this, Jesus of Nazareth said, We are coming close to the middle of human life, which is in the thirties. Then the powers of youth cease to grow, and we begin the descent. We are now living in an age, he said, which corresponds to the period from the twenty-eighth to the thirty-fifth year in an individual life. And these are the years when the life of humanity begins to go into decline. Individuals still have other powers that enable them to live on, but humanity as a whole has nothing left. This is the painful truth. Humanity is about to enter into the aging process. Its youth has passed, and it is between its twenty-eighth and thirty-fifth year. From where can new powers come now that the powers of youth are exhausted? This is how Jesus of Nazareth spoke to his stepmother about the decline that was coming for the whole life of evolving humanity. His words were full of unutterable pain, and it was clear that the prospect for humanity was quite hopeless. He knew that individuals would continue to live beyond their thirty-fifth year because some residual powers remained in them. Humanity as a whole had no such powers left. Something new had to come, something an individual human life needed between the twenty-eighth and thirty-fifth year. The power which must illumine individual human beings when they advance from their twenty-eighth to their thirty-fourth year had to come from the macrocosm and illumine the earth. Reading those words of Jesus of Nazareth in the Akashic Record, one realizes that humanity as such was then growing old. As he spoke to his mother of these things, putting the meaning and significance of human evolution into words, he knew at a moment when his very self entered into his words 
that something of his own true nature went away with them. His words had become his very self. This was also the moment when the sole entity, which, until then, had lived in his natural mother, who had died, after the event in which the Zarathustra's soul had come to him from the other Jesus boy, and who from Jesus' twelfth year had been in realms of spirit, entered into the stepmother's soul. From then on, his own mother's spirit lived in the soul of the Nathan Jesus boy's stepmother. Jesus of Nazareth had united himself intensely with the words in which he gave expression to all the pain he felt at the suffering of humanity. And it was as if his self had vanished from the shell provided by physical, ether, and astral body, with the shell being again as it had been when he was a little boy, only that it was now also filled with everything he had suffered from his twelfth year. The Zarathustra I, capital, had gone, and all that remained in the shell was what survived of those powerful experiences. Now an impulse arose in the threefold shell. It drove him to take the road that would lead him to John the Baptist by the river Jordan. He went on his way as though in a dream, yet it was not a dream, but a higher state of consciousness and only the threefold shell was there, filled with the spirit and impulses of the experiences gained from his twelfth year. The Zarathustra eye had departed. The threefold shell guided him, and he was scarcely conscious of anything around him. With the eye departed, he was wholly given up to his direct vision of human destiny and of human needs. On his way to John the Baptist by the Jordan, he met two Essenes with whom he had often spoken. He did not recognize them in his present state, for it was as if his egoity had been taken out of him. They recognized him, however, and addressed him, quote, Where are you going, Jesus of Nazareth? I have tried to put what he said into words. He said those words in such a way that the Essenes did not know where they came from. They came from him and yet not from him. Quote, Somewhere where people like you do not wish to direct the inner eye, E-Y-E, where human pain can find the rays of the forgotten light. Quote. Those were his words. The Essenes did not understand them, but they realized that he did not recognize them. So they said, quote, Jesus of Nazareth, don't you recognize us? Close quote. There followed even stranger words. It was as if he said to them, quote, You are like lost lambs. I, however, was the son of the shepherd from whom you strayed. If you truly recognize me, you will soon stray again. You have fled from me to the world a long time ago. Close quote. The Essenes did not know what to think, for his eyes took on a special look as he appeared to say those words. It was as if they looked out and yet also looked inward. They seemed full of reproach for the souls he addressed. Gentle love was shining from those eyes, but a love that became a reproach to the Essenes, rising from their own souls. The feelings that arose in the Essenes as they heard him may be characterized more or less as follows. Quote, what kind of souls are you? Where is your world? 
Why do you present yourselves other than you are? Why is a fire burning inside you that has not been ignited in my father's house? Their souls fell silent at those words, as it were. And he went on to say, You bear the mark of the tempter. He found you when you had fled. He made you your wool glitter with his fire. The hairs of his wool prick my eyes. O you lost lambs! He has filled your souls with arrogance and pride. When he said, Your wool glitters, the hairs of this wool prick my eyes, one of the Essenes said, Surely we have shown the tempter the door. He no longer has any part in us. But Jesus went on to say, True, you have shown him the door. But he went away to go to other people, besetting them on every side. You do not raise yourselves if you bring others down. You only think you have elevated yourselves because you made the others grow smaller. You remain where you are and only feel you are greater because you have made the others less. Those words told with the Essenes. And when Jesus of Nazareth had said them, their hearts felt so heavy that they were no longer able to see. Their eyes grew dim and Jesus of Nazareth disappeared from their sight. And when he thus seemed to have vanished, they saw his countenance as though from afar, but it had become vast. They saw it before them like a far distant mirage, and words came to them as if spoken from this mirage, words they experienced as, quote, Vain is your endeavor, for your hearts are empty. You have only filled them with the spirit who deceptively covers pride and arrogance with a cloak of humility, close quote. Then the mirage too had vanished, and they stood there heavy-hearted and perplexed. When they could see again, they realized he had gone some distance from them while they had seen the vision, and they could do nothing, being merely aware that he had gone on his way. Their hearts heavy, they went on to their Essene lodging, and they never spoke to anyone of that experience, keeping silent about it to the end of their lives. They had gained greater depth of soul than their Essene brothers, but they kept silence and became very taciturn, never saying anything that was not absolutely essential for everyday communication. Their Essene brothers did not know why they had changed so much. Until their death, they never spoke of what they had heard. They entered into the mystery of Golgotha in a special way in their hearts, but the others had no awareness of this. When Jesus had continued on his way for a while, he met a person whose heart was in utter despair. As I have said, Jesus was in a way removed from earthly concerns, and he therefore could not take it in that a human being was approaching. He himself, however, made a deep impression on this man who was in such despair that he showed the signs of profound suffering. The tremendous impression this individual had of Jesus of Nazareth as he came toward him, evoked words from Jesus of Nazareth, which may be said to be more or less as follows, Where has the path your soul took, led you? I saw you thousands of years ago, then you were different. The desperate man heard this as though it was spoken by the approaching figure of Jesus of Nazareth. He felt an inner need, on the one hand, to speak of his troubles, 
and on the other hand to find for himself the answer fate would give. He felt impelled to say, Could I have advanced to high rank in my life? I was always learning. The things I learned advanced me to an ever higher rank among others. Every honor I was given increased my pride, and I would often say to myself, subquote, You are indeed a special person, seeing the magnificence you have achieved among others. End, subquote. I felt that my soul must be of greater value than the souls of others. My arrogance increased with every new achievement. And then I had a dream. It was a terrible dream. Not only did I dream, but my soul was full of shame as I dreamt, for I felt ashamed to dream something like that. I had been so proud. And now I dreamt something I would never have wanted to dream, and that seemed right in my dream. I dreamt I was asking myself, subquote, Who has made me great? Close, subquote. And a spirit stood before me who said, subquote, I have made you great, I have raised you, but because of this you are mine. Close, subquote. I felt it was the greatest disgrace when it was revealed to me that I was not a chosen soul and had not risen by my own efforts. Another had elevated me. I took flight in my dream. When I woke up, I truly took flight, abandoning all my achievements. I did not know what I was looking for, and so I have been going about for a long time, fleeing from myself and everything I achieved, feeling ashamed of everything I once thought in my arrogance and pride. Close quote. As he said these words, the spirit who had appeared to him in his dream stood before him again. Standing between himself and Jesus of Nazareth, the dream spirit blocked out the figure of Jesus of Nazareth. And when the dream image had changed and dissolved as in a mist, Jesus had walked on. When the despairing individual looked back, he saw he had gone on quite a way. He therefore had to continue on his way in despair. Then a leper came toward Jesus of Nazareth. His leprosy and suffering had reached a climax. And because of his soul's perception, Jesus of Nazareth's inner being again felt compelled to utter words, which the leper heard. Again the words were, quote, Where has the path your soul took, led you? I saw you thousands of years ago. Then you were different. Close quote. In a process similar to the one that had made the desperate man speak, the leper was impelled to say, quote, I do not know how I come to have the disease. It approached gradually, and people would no longer allow me to be with them. I had to walk in desolate places, scarcely able to beg for scraps at people's doors. Then one night I found myself near a dense forest. I saw a bright and shining tree that seemed to come toward me from a clearing. I felt the urge to go closer to the tree that shone out toward me. It drew me to it. And when I came close, a skeleton appeared to step out from the tree. I knew it was Death who had stood thus before me. And Death said to me, quote, I am you. I am eating you away. Do not be afraid. Close quote. And the skeleton went on to say, quote, Why are you afraid? Did you not love me once through many lives? Only... You did not know it was me you loved, for I appeared to you in the form of a magnificent archangel. It was him you thought you loved. And then it was no longer death who stood before me, but the archangel whom I had often seen, and I knew it was his image I had loved. Then he vanished.
I did not wake up until the next morning, lying by the tree and feeling even more miserable than before. And I knew that everything I had taken pleasure in, all the self-love in me, was connected with the spirit who appeared to me as death and as an archangel, maintaining that I loved it and that it was my own self. Now I stand before you, and I do not know who you are. Then the archangel appeared again, and death too, and stood between the leper and Jesus of Nazareth, hiding Jesus of Nazareth from his view. As soon as the leper saw the archangel, Jesus disappeared, and then death and the archangel also disappeared, and the leper had to walk on, and he saw that Jesus of Nazareth had passed on. The Akashic record thus shows the events that happened on the road Jesus of Nazareth took between the talk with his mother and the baptism by John in the Jordan. Tomorrow we shall see how these contacts with the world which Jesus had when he was out of himself, events he could not really take in, combined with the spirit that came to him at the baptism by John in the Jordan. These events, the meeting with the two Essenes, the desperate person and the leper, may seem strange and something to marvel at. To those who find them strange, I can only say that they may seem strange, but that is how they truly appear when one investigates the Akashic record. They represent events which are, of course, unique. They have to be unique, for they happened in preparation for an event which also could happen only once, the event we call the mystery of Golgotha. Anyone who is not prepared to entertain the thought that something unique happened in human evolution in those days will find the whole process of human evolution difficult to understand. The end of Lecture 12